This is Atypical Parenting, the podcast for parents and caregivers for those on the autistic spectrum. My name is Dawn Tree, and I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner, but more importantly, I'm the mother of a 32-year-old adult autistic son. Each week, along with special guests, I hope to bring you relevant information and lots of encouragement as we walk this journey together. Hi, welcome everybody. We're here today with Shauna Kerr, who I am very proud to say is my daughter. And she obviously grew up in our family with, uh, I've shared with you before, I have a son who is 32 now, 32, gosh, that makes me old. He's 32, Shauna is 27. And so Shauna was the younger sibling of a person with autism. I wanted to interview Shauna because she has so much insight on this topic. And I'm so happy that you're here today, Shauna. Yes, thank you for inviting me on the podcast. I think it's definitely, you know, important that we're able to have this conversation now, you know, so that our listeners, we can either, you know, prevent them from having such a hard conversation or also encourage them to have a conversation with their adult children as well. Yeah, that's perfect. That's great. You're right. It's There's so many ways that this could potentially help people. So thank you again for sharing a little bit about your experience and how you coped with it. So can you just give us a little introduction about you, what you do, where you are in life, that kind of thing? So as you already said, my name is Shauna. I am 27 years old. I currently have an apartment by myself and nearby my family. I own a medical billing company where I do medical billing as my profession. Well, thank you. So when we think about like living with the person with autism, which is what we're here to talk about, I want you to try to focus not on that person, but on you, because it's your experience that we're here to talk about today. So when you were growing up, can you tell me a little bit about what were the areas that you struggled with? Like what was hardest for you as you were growing up? So three things come to mind when I was growing up, my struggles. I would say the first was the communication barrier. Basically, I would say the lack of connection between me and my sibling in terms of communication. We weren't able to communicate together well. And also in terms of you know shared hobbies or interests, we didn't really seem to have a connection that way either. So that was definitely you know, a struggle because, you know, all your other friends, you hear about how they have siblings and they're so close. And I didn't really feel like I had that kind of connection with my brother. Another thing that I struggled with was seeing the like blatant differences between the way that we were treated. The way you were parented, you mean? Yes. Yeah. The way we were parented, the expectations that were against me versus my brother, you know, even as a young child, you know, eight years old or even younger, you are able to see those kind of differences. And can you give me an example of that? That's a great point, by the way. Yeah. So it can be, you know, really simple things in terms of household chores, how those are divvied up. You know, one child might not get any chores. And and then the neurotypical children, you know, takes out the trash or has age appropriate chores, while your atypical child might not have any. Even another expectations in terms of schoolwork. One that was really obvious to me was, you know, I was expected to 
write my own essays to, you know, come up with my own kind of answers. And, you know, I, I would see that you would help my sibling with the areas he struggled with, you know, which is fair. But as a young kid, you know, to see my parents writing the essays for my brother as he spoke them, that was just hard to see. And obviously as a child. Yeah, that's a great point. Because that was one of the accommodations. But, you know, for you, I imagine it looked like that was so easy. Why couldn't you do that for me? Yes, of course. Yeah. So just seeing those kind of treatment differences and then, it, you know, just kind of makes me feel like, oh, well, you know, how come I don't get help with my essays like that? It's, of course, it makes things go so much easier. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because when you're, you know, I mean, now I'm sure you can sort of logically think about it and have a different perspective. But when you're a young kid, you're right. Those sort of things really stand out and probably made you feel certain ways that weren't so good. Yeah, of course. I think it's just important looking back now to maybe just either explain that in an age appropriate way, or maybe at home, come up with your own accommodations for all your children so that things are a little more equal. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you. Anything else? Was there another area? Yeah, so I would say this is the biggest area. The best way to describe it to me is that basically, I just kind of felt like my family's shadow. And when I say that, I just mean that maybe I didn't have a voice in my family. I don't feel like maybe my concerns or emotions were tended to all the time. I just kind of had to get dragged along to wherever my family went or didn't go. And so I just kind of felt like I was basically a shadow, right? Just kind of following along as the family needs were met. Yeah, I can see that. You know, in hindsight, like obviously that's one of the reasons we're doing the podcast because in hindsight, there were so many things that I didn't have the knowledge or support or we were pretty much flying blind with this whole thing back in the 90s. So yeah, it's honestly one of my biggest regrets is that I wasn't able to balance that for you. So I really appreciate you sharing all that with us because this is really personal stuff, right? Like this is your inner child crap. And, you know, to think that it could be done better, I really hope for the people listening that they'll hear what you're saying. Yeah. And it took me, you know, many years into my adulthood till I was able to even reflect and look and go into my childhood. I, you know, I think for a majority of it, I kind of just ignored the past and it would always focus on the present. Of course, you know, every child is going to have some trauma right? And we do our best to try to not contribute. Um, and I think, you know, maybe the hardest part is that even though you're doing your best, you still might be contributing to some of that trauma. Oh, absolutely. As parents, we really, we honestly like think about nothing except our children more than anything else. And our goal is to avoid all of that stuff. But obviously we do contribute to it. All of our parents did. And it's a pretty hard pill to swallow when you look at that and see what you did or didn't do and or the things that you could have done differently. Um, so again, that's why we're doing the podcast, so that hopefully we can save some other people the kind of struggles that we went through. It was hard, you know? I mean, I remember how hard it was for you. And I, even though I didn't do all the right things, I spent so much time worrying about you. So what were the things 
that your parents could have done better? What were the things that I could have done better? Beat me up. Before we go into what could have done better, I think it's important to acknowledge some tactics that were done that were really helpful, right? So, you know, a lot of the things that are really helpful for a child who feels unseen is to have one-on-one time with all your kids, no matter what their needs are, even if that's only 10 minutes a day at bedtime or, you know, maybe two hours a one-on-one outing out of the house. I think it's just really important to get that one-on-one time with all your children so that everyone feels seen and heard. Yes, great idea. Another really good thing that helped was keeping me engaged in extra hobbies and sports, always providing rides, you know, or finding someone to pick me up, basically not letting our our family dynamic affect my outside life because, you know, it's important for kids to be able to experience that kind of stuff. And, you know, we're so lucky that we had at the time your typical household, two parents, extra family members that were able to help support our whole family circle. And unfortunately, that is not the case for a lot of families now. If you don't have a second parent to help with the family, you know, maybe try and find someone to help support, you know, the whole family because it's important for the kids to have that work-life balance as a kid, right? The school and family balance. Yeah, that's so important, right? And and I know like we live in a rural, a rural area and uh, there's no, you know, walking to and from anywhere. So the whole ride thing is really important because with your atypical child, like, can you leave them home alone? Do they have to come with you? And is that going to be a huge fight? And, and that can really easily affect what you allow your other children to do, your typical children. So it is really important that if you don't have any extra adults around to give rides or to supervise or to provide what the other kids need, that you do your best to try to connect with other people who might be willing to help you. And it's so hard to ask for help. But looking at you today and, and hearing the things that you're saying, I want parents to see how important it is because this, these seemingly small things that we deal with day to day, they're going to affect how your typical children come out in life. So be really mindful about that and look at the big picture, not just today, I'm overwhelmed and I don't have anyone to help, right? And, you know, even in within your school district, you know, there, there probably is some extra support there in terms of after school programs or even early morning programs. They have some um, have those as well. So yeah, yeah, ask, ask for help. I know it is hard, but it is needed for your children. Was there anything else? Yeah. So lastly, I would say creating a safe space for your children. I feel like that was handled very well. I was lucky enough to have my own bedroom. I asked for a lock on the handle and that was given to me. A lot of parents I know might have concerns with that. Basically, just listening to what your child is asking for to have a safe environment and providing that for them. Yeah, I imagine your room was like a place of refuge at times when the household was in chaos and people might have been yelling and arguing and carrying on in other kinds of ways. And uh, um, or just if like everybody was walking on eggshells that day, like to retreat into your safe space. Yeah, absolutely. And it's understandable that not everyone can have their own bedroom, but maybe even just creating a small corner. For, you know, typical children to escape to maybe provide some headphones 
with age-appropriate music or nice computer games that they can hone into instead. Try to do best with what space you have and, and just create a safe space for, for everyone. Yeah, I know parents who've actually found a closet and in a lot of houses, closet space is sacred, but they've found a closet that they were able to clean out and paint pictures on the walls and put blankets and pillows and and really create that nice, safe place for either for their autistic kid or their typical kid or or whatever the case may be. But even a closet, honestly, I think would be really appreciated by kids in particular who are looking for a safe place where they, you know, can just remove themselves from the difficulty of the household. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's wonderful. Yeah. So what were things we could have done better as your parents? Like what are some ideas now you have from your really unique perspective looking back? What could have been done better for you? So looking back, I would say to help find an activity that could have bonded me with my brother more. I'm sure maybe there was a shared activity that could have been found that was safe, you know, for everyone to to share together, even as maybe a family unit or, you know, just a one-on-one sibling uh, kind of activity. I think that would have helped our communication barrier and, you know, help create a stronger bond between us. Great, great. Great idea. Another thing I would say was to let your neurotypical children have a voice in family. And what I mean by that is to let them have choices and let them kind of control some of the options for the family. So that can be really small in terms of just, you know, letting them decide where we get takeout from or what is cooked for dinner you know, on Friday night, just anything to kind of let your neurotypical child have some control over because, you know, I I think the balance is uh, usually the other way, right? Everyone needs to kind of appease to your atypical child to avoid a meltdown or just to make sure that if they're happy, the whole family is happy. Usually it's just important to let the neurotypical child have some control over the family in whatever sense that might for you. Really good, really good thought. So can you just help parents figure out how that might work? Because our kids on the spectrum, they have really narrow preferences, really kind of it's difficult to find things that they'll agree to or that they like or that they're comfortable engaging in. So how do you think that parents could balance that need to give the typical child some feeling of control versus you know, providing what your atypical child needs. Do you have any suggestions about that for parents? Yeah, of course, right? Obviously, you need to provide a limit for your neurotypical child to choose from. So maybe I would just give them the choice of one or two options and let the neurotypical child pick which option. So if you know that your atypical child only will eat, you know, pizza or chicken nuggets, they'll happily eat those two foods, everything else is out, out, you know, off the table, you know, just let your neurotypical child decide which one are we going to have for dinner tonight? Is everyone having pizza or are we all having chicken nuggets? Something as small as that, just, you know, maybe two options that, you know, would work for everyone and let all your kids rotate between having those choices. Was there anything else? The last thing I would say, and again, this does not apply to everyone listening because there might not be two parents available in the household, but for those that do have more than one other 
adult who can support the family structure, I would maybe say try and alternate between the parent and kid support. So a lot of times, right, mom only goes, you know, to, to Jimmy's events and dad always goes to Sally's events. And maybe just try and alternate between the two just so that your child feels like both parents are fully involved in their life. I think that is so important because the atypical child often bonds so closely with one of the parents, generally the mother, and then the other child or children are left with what's left over. And not only is it important for the typical child to bond with both parents appropriately, but it's important for the atypical child, right? Like if you're just like, oh, they want mom, they want mom, they want mom. And then dad is never... uh, the one that they sort of are are with one-on-one, then that really weakens their bond as well. So you're right. Like this, that is a really important thing because it goes both ways. And for for the typical children, it's it's very important because that caregiver, that mother or or whoever it may be, is like a vital person for them as well, even though they may not insist on it or you know what I'm saying like they may not be so insistent on spending time or having that person with them so very important very important thought yeah absolutely not only does it affect the kids both ways but also the parents both ways too right I'm sure dad feels you know feels a little left out that and and you know sad that he doesn't have as strong as a bond with the atypical child and even just you know providing the space and the option for them to help connect better I think it helps the whole family unit yeah I I really agree with you that's such a nugget that I wish I had had early on so thank you for sharing you talked about activities that you as the typical child use to help you manage the stress of being in the household Can you talk about a little bit about like what were the most helpful things for you outside of the house that helped you manage your emotions, your life, your, you know, the entire picture growing up? Yeah. So coping mechanisms for me were to find right hobbies, sports activities that I could be involved in. Even something else that was really important was going to a friend's house to spend some time there. Yeah, you were really social. Not so much that I was social, but it was more so because it was an escape from my home life. And that was really the main focus was if if I didn't feel like I had a safe space at home, I would try and find that safe space, you know, maybe at a friend's house or staying after school at the library. But yeah, just basically kind of finding some space, safe spaces outside of the home that were really important. It's so interesting to me because now I feel like you have a balance that lines up with you as as who you are, right? Like you have a few close friends and then other than that, you sort of are a bit of a homebody. So I don't know, like, I, you know, I wonder, did you feel like forced to be so social? Because literally you had so many friends and so many activities, you, you pretty much signed up for everything. You were the president of what? I mean, you were, you did so many things in high school, you know, you were the captain of the cheer team and you were the secretary of the student body, right? Like you had all these things going on. So do you feel like you were forced into those things because of our situation or do you feel like something else? I I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question, but no, I don't feel like I was forced into it. 
I think, you know, growing up, I, I did learn some great qualities about being more independent, trying to find some leadership skills that all carried over. And once I dip my toes in, in the extracurricular activities at school, I found that because of the qualities that I developed growing up were really beneficial in all these other ways. It, it felt really good, you know, that finally I felt like I could really contribute to something and, and I had control. I had to say, you know, people liked hearing my ideas, just having that uh, at school, it really helped me because, as I said, I I didn't have that at home. So, no, I was not forced into it. So it was something I did at my own will, and I kept trying to get involved in more and more, you know, as much as as much as we all could handle. So, I have to tell you, I think you are so amazing that. <laughs> Thank you. You you know, our family was pretty dysfunctional for a very long time, and it was really difficult. And the fact that you can find some like uh, golden lining and all that, like I really admire that about you. I think I think you're amazing. So uh, you've given so much advice today, so much insight for parents who are raising both typical and atypical children together. And if there was like one piece of advice, your best advice, if you could only give one piece of advice to parents in the situation that we were in, what advice would you give? Wow, I'm I'm limited to just one piece of advice. <laughs> that is really hard, but I I would say the biggest the biggest piece of advice I can give, I feel like it's going to have the biggest impact on your on raising your children and I would say, you know, that's that's to not lose sight of your neurotypical child's needs, you know, because they need you just as much as your atypical child does, even though it's in different forms. So try and focus as much attention on all your children and also to do your best not to parentify your neurotypical children. You might feel that they can handle more responsibilities. They might be able to handle watching your atypical child for a few hours. In the in the long run, it's best to let your children stay children, you know, and, and just to remember to, to only dish out age appropriate responsibilities for, for all your children. Great advice. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Yes. Yeah. This conversation might have been hard to hear for you, but I, I do thank you because like we said, you know, I hope it's going to help, you know, all the listeners maybe try to avoid some of these mistakes. You know, if, if all your kids are, are all grown, you know, maybe prompt them if everyone, you know, agrees to kind of approach and, and have this conversation with all your children, because, you know, it is helpful. Obviously, you know, I did have maybe a lot of resentment towards my childhood. And I'm, I'm really thankful that we're able to have this open conversation. You're able to listen and hear what I'm saying and uh, just be there for me. So thank you. It's my pleasure. I can't tell you how much joy you bring to my life. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for being so honest. And um, thank you for sharing your really personal experience with us. You're very welcome. I hope we can do this again. We'll have to think of another topic and have another chat. Yes, I would like that. Let me know. All right. Love you. Bye. 
Thanks for listening today. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram at atypical underscore parenting. If you like the show, help me reach more listeners like you by leaving a rating or review on your podcast platform. Wishing you all a wonderful week. Until next time.